Hello, everybody. I'm Matt Mikuchi, and you are listening to Jazz's Travel. Hello everybody, Jazz's online editor Matt Mikuchi here, welcoming you to a new episode of Jazz's Travel, a podcast series committed to discovering music trends and traditions old and new from different corners of the globe through conversations with or about groundbreaking and innovative artists. This will be our final Jazz's Travel podcast for a while, as we will be focusing in the future on bringing you more episodes of our Jazz's podcast series, which will come to you in conjunction with our specially curated vinyl series, Jazz's Vinyl Club, which you can find out more about on our website, jazz's.com. Our episode of Jazz's Travel today is a conversation with Yale Evelev record executive and producer who is the co-owner of a label called Luakabop Records that he runs with David Byrne. Yes, that David Byrne of the Talking Heads fame. We'll be finding out more about this amazing record label, its history and what it's all about, particularly in the context of its World Spirituality Classics series, the third album of which was recently released. It compiles recordings by Alhaji Waziri Oshoma and his unique take on high life combined with folk songs, western pop and the teachings of Islam. You'll be hearing bits of music from the records scattered throughout the program and you will also find out more about the artists later on this very podcast, the introduction of which I feel has gone on long enough. So without further ado, in words inspired by the great Tom Snyder, fire up an audio teeny and listen to the audio waves as they fly through the air. Hello, Yale. Welcome to Jazz's Travel. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm very good, Yale, and uh, thanks very much for joining us. It's a real pleasure. What part of the world are you speaking to us from? I, I live in New York City. New York City. What's the weather like in New York City right now? Uh, it's the morning still. I haven't been outside, but it's been a pretty warm summer, maybe not as much as in Europe, yeah. but, uh, but it's... It's pretty pretty warm. I mean, usually New York's pretty humid, warm and humid in the summer, and you know we have a lot yeah. of air conditioning here. So, <laughs> right, right. Well, I'm speaking from Ireland. We don't get much uh, heat around here. We've, uh, I think, we've already had our summer. It lasted uh, four days. So I that's, see. That was well, nice. <laughs> ours, ours will go on for a bit, a bit more. All right. Well, so it's a great pleasure to speak with you. I mean, uh, uh, there's so much to talk about, but uh, this conversation will particularly focus on the World Spiritual Classics series. Uh, that uh, is, uh, it's just a fascinating series. Uh, but before we do, uh, uh, you are the uh, the president of Luaka Bop, correct? That is correct. Yep. And so it's it's a great label that I've been kind of following for for years now but it would be great to kind of if you could tell me a bit about the history of this label what it's all about in terms of what it stands for and the music it releases well it was started by a singer named david byrne who was in a band called the talking heads and uh he had he had a solo out record deal with uh with warner brothers the label the talking heads was on 
and as part of that solo deal, he got a record label. Uh, that that would be the case for many artists in those days. In a way, uh, you'd get your own record label, and uh, so he decided to take that seriously, and he started doing compilations of Brazilian music. These were these were basically mixtapes he had started making for friends. You know, he'd give friends cassettes like that used to be done, and and basically turn mixtapes into a label to some extent. And I, I started with him maybe a year after he started the whole label. He didn't have anybody working on the label per se until until I got there. And you are an expert when it comes to digging up great music that has been forgot, forgotten yourself, right? I mean, how did you well, get into doing this? expert's a pretty loaded term. Uh, I don't know if I'm an expert. Uh, I, well, I you just know. like music. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. Well, and, so, uh, and I'm curious. But how did you get started into doing this? Because, I mean, it's fascinating, a music preservation and finding out about music that is not um, so just, easy just to like find. for you i mean you're working with music i think if you work for music with music you've probably spent your whole life being interested in music so, since you were a kid i mean i bought records you know i bought 45s you know when i was a kid and albums and i had a lot of records and i loved music and i couldn't play music well and uh, so i just really wanted to be near it all the time and i was always very curious and i'd go through deep dives for things. So like in col in high school I only listened to blues and uh, then in college pretty much I only listened to jazz and then I moved to New York and I had I t I went to a I I liked music a lot and I wanted to work in radio but I realized radio wasn't going to be very interesting for me as if I did it professionally. So I I just kind of searched around for what else I could do and my college had a relationship with an art school so I could take classes at the art school. So I went to art school for the last two years of my college career and basically studied video art and electronic music. And the electronic music teacher, you know, we did a lot of listening to, you know, Indonesian music. You know, we listened to, this was in the 70s, you know. So Phil Glass and Steve Reich and people like that had just started making their music and uh, and started making records of their music, I should really say. And and it was just so interesting, like all this all this stuff that was going on that was kind of a reaction against the academic contemporary classical world and the influences of music from other cultures, all that stuff, all that thing really interested me um, because as somebody who cared deeply about music, I was always looking for truth, you know, and there just seemed to be a lot of truth in music that wasn't made for to sell and it was just music just made to be an entertainment or part of the society in terms of social structure or whatever. So that got me really interested in music from everywhere. Well, do you remember when it was that you came across music that you thought, you felt like, wow, I need to tell more people about this? I No, that was from the very beginning. That's why I wanted to work in radio. I wanted to work in radio because I wanted to tell people about music I was interested in. And then I realized, like I said, that that's not what radio is really about when you do it professionally. So... That's when I left it. But it's not like I had a goal to work at a record label. I mean, my son got out of college and he's like, okay, how did my life start? <laughs> and that was in the 90s, and, sorry, in the two, two 2010s, you know. But in the, in the 70s, you got out of college and you just kind of flopped around and you didn't expect your life to start. And I worked in a record store and then I worked for a distributor of artist-produced records, you know, basically independent press records before they were called that. It was called New Music Distribution, and it was started by jazz composer Carla Blay. And we had, you know, 10,000 records that people had made 
for themselves. We basically encouraged people to make records. People didn't know you could just make your own record. You know, it was people thought you had to be on a label to make a record, but they didn't know you could make your own. And we would help people make their own records and then give them a place to distribute them. You know, so I was always doing something related to music. And then I worked at the Brooklyn Academy of Music, um, doing a music festival called New Music America, which was uh, contemporary American music of all sorts. We, I brought Moondog back to New York. Uh, we had Cachao, uh, uh, who's a Latin bass player. We did. I produced uh, Industrial Symphony, the David Lynch kind of music theater piece. You know, a lot, a lot of different kinds of things. And among those was David Byrne. And so when I left that job, because their budget had gotten cut, uh, someone I ran into a friend on the street who worked for Warner Brothers. says, "Hey, David Byrne's looking for someone to look." to run his record label, you should write him a letter, you know, this pre-email. I write him a letter and he eventually calls me up and I have a bunch of people over, so my phone machine goes off and I hear him go, uh, hi, hi, Yale, um, yeah, that, that sounds good. Uh, you can do what you do and I'll do what I do and you can help me. And so, so basically that was it and I was hired. I mean, I had kind of known him because he'd come in the record store, it was in the neighborhood he lived in, so I would see him at the record store, but if I tried to talk to him, he'd, he'd get very nervous and shy and run out. Uh, but I also, when I worked at New Music Distribution, I'd started my own label called Icon, and I put out a few records on Icon, and I would send them to him sometimes, and, you know, sometimes he'd write me back, say, wow, I really like that record, you know. So, I mean, I, you know, we, we weren't friends or anything, but I knew him, so he, he knew that what I knew, which was music <laughs> of yeah. all kinds, and he hired me. What do you feel is the, the role of the album in this day and age? I, that's... Uh, Frankly, I mean, and I don't mean to be flippant, but it's irrelevant to me, that kind of question, because I don't care what the role is. Uh, I, I'm just doing what I'm interested in, and we make albums, and some people, depending on their generation, might be into the album or might not be into the album, might only be into songs. But, you know, <clears throat> we had a band on the label called Kings Go Forth, and the leader of the band made his living buying and selling Soul 45s, and he'd travel around the center... He lived in the middle America, and he traveled around middle America buying Soul 45s to resell. And I was saying, like, you know, I felt unless you'd made an album, you weren't an artist who had any real stature. Because if you didn't have an album's worth of, of things to say, then, then, then I didn't think you were, you know, that important. And he says, well, you know, a lot of times you can't make an album. There isn't the money there. There isn't the circumstances. And there are a lot of things that are just singles that are really incredible. So that whole concept of the album and the single and the relationship with the album and the single. I mean, those are not new, you know, discussions, but it's not a discussion that I get that interested in because I'm making the albums that I make, you know, and uh, whether it's relevant or non-relevant, it doesn't really matter. I mean, everything's temporal, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years. So, so we started out just making albums then we made CDs and then there were, you know, downloads and then there's streaming and now we're back to albums and, you know, whatever. It's, and now you make everything. Yeah, it, it make everything, but it's it's not about the format. The format is just the format. It's just about the music. You know, you make the mu the format, the music that you're making for the format. That's it. That's it. I'm not generally needing to focus on a song per se over an album. I like albums. We make albums, even if they were out of favor now, they might come back favor later. You know what I mean? So it's not something that I think about. We are going to discuss. About jealousy that brings hypertension to those that are jealous 
their colleagues. The track you are hearing is from The Muslim High Life of Al-Haji Waziri Oshoma, the third volume of Luaka Bop's World Spirituality Classics series, which follows a previously released compilation of music by Alice Coltrane and a private press gospel soul compilation titled The Time Is Now. A devout Muslim and a pillar in his local community, Al-Haji Waziri Oshoma makes a unique form of dance music that's fused with local folk styles, pan-Nigerian highlife and western pop. The recordings on this new compilation were first recorded between the mid-1970s and mid-1980s, revealing a world where musical expression and Islamic culture move hand in hand. Find out more about it in the second part of our conversation with Lua Kabop's very own Yale Evelev. <laughs> Well, let's get talking about some of the music that you are putting out. Uh, the World Spiritual Classics series. Can you tell us a, a bit about it? Well, it feels like the end of the world. And uh, at least in terms of humankind, of course. Not in terms of the globe, but, uh, but, but in terms of the humankind. So, you know, I'm looking around. Man invents religion. What is the reli- what's religion for? What's spirituality for? What are all the how's, What's the relationship between spirituality and religion? And and I have all these questions. And how does music relate to spirituality? How does music relate to religion? And you know, those are none of those things are the same thing. They're all but they're all related. So I look at 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 and then we started. The first record was Alice Coltrane, who when John died, kind of had a psychic meltdown, and a friend took her to see Swami Satchidananda. And she really, and it really spoke to her. And she went with him to India, and a few times. And in one of those times, she she had a vision that she should start a, a an ashram, a religious retreat for people, which she did in Cal. She moved to California, and she she bought land, and she started this religious retreat. And on Sunday, she would have a Sunday service, which she would talk for about a half an hour or so, and then they would all sing together. And the singing together really was their spiritual practice, and uh, and. So she had made four cassettes for the for the people in the ashram so that they could listen to the music that they would sing together for the rest of the week. And we did a compilation of those of those that music. And it, it was a you know, it's it was I think very moving for people, but it was also, you know, moving for me. It was the ashram still existed at that point, though Alice was no longer with us. And I went to visit it and, you know, with those people and we put together a, a group of people from the ashram to to try to play that music live, that was very difficult to do that and make it work because, um, you know, part and parcel of the move, how it moved you was the situation with which you experienced it. So we would have these, you know, sound checks and the sound men would be crying, literally crying, you know, because it was so moving and then the concert would happen and, and there were the formality of the concert would kind of take away some of the power of the music, which was a shame. Did I answer that question? I, I yeah, yeah. Going. Before, before we carry, <laughs> and and I'd love for, to, to to keep going with this, but uh, before we carry on, I just uh, kind of wanted to ask you: Would you consider yourself a spiritual person? No, 
no. And that's, you know, my mom is always saying to me, what's, what's going on with you? <laughs> but I, I, I am into the spiritual quality of music. And so, and I believe in God. I don't believe God looks like anything or is anything per se. But, you know, I feel man invented religion, but there is a God. I and mean, I feel there is a God because um, I went to a, my son's, you know, some sort of parent event at my son's school. This was many years ago. And one of the parents uh, had been a nuclear physicist, an astrophysicist, and then he became a quant, which is, he worked on Wall Street. And, and we were talking, and, and he said, he just mentioned the Big Bang as it was accepted, you know, as an accepted situation that everybody knew the Big Bang was how the universe started. And I thought, really? Everybody, it, the, the Big Bang is just something that's a given that we all decided, you guys decided that the Big Bang is abso- absolutely the beginning of the universe? He says, oh, yeah. And I said, well, what did they call before the Big Bang? He says, they call that the creator. And I said, oh, do you believe in God? And he said, no. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, that, it, unless we, we could, of course, all be a video game, as people seem to discuss these days, but, but the fact of the matter is, I believe there was a, you know, the beginning was, was a God essence, an essence, you know, and nature is God and whatever have you. So, so I'm, I don't consider myself a spiritual person, but I believe in the spirituality of music, and I believe there is a God. So maybe I'm fooling myself in how I, how I answer that question. Uh, I hadn't heard about the video game one. Uh, that oh, yeah. The, well, the, 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 you know, science is 500 years old. It's not very old, right? And, and yeah. video games are, you know, what are they, 20, 30 years old? And so for, from the beginning of video games, which is a Pong, you know, something like Pong, to now where they're immersive experiences, and then the beginning of AI, the, the complexity and the intensity of these things is growing at such a rate that there's a there's a school of thought, including you know people like Elon Musk and, and uh, what have you, that that we are actually part of a simulation. We, huh. This is not a that what we think is reality is just a simulation that someone is kind of overridingly controlling to some extent. Well, I don't know what to think about that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know whether that's a positive thing or a negative thing. But, oh, well, it's uh, a re- again, it's irrelevant. It's a, it's, it's beyond a- positive and negative. It just. Mm. If it, that is the case, that is the case. It's, it really shouldn't have anything to do with what your daily life is because you're here on the planet forever along your end. You're here and then you disappear, you know, so you've got to live your life the best you can. Still, when it comes to uh, the World Spirituality Classic series, uh, the music is definitely linked with spirituality in the, I guess, traditional sense, let's say, or the sense that people know most uh, because you know we talked about Alice Coltrane's music uh, we talk, and then there was the uh, gospel soul compilation the time for peace is now and now yep. this third volume that will be released on the 23rd of September which is actually my birthday um, oh, wow. so yeah I mean it's the uh, it, it highlights Muslim high life and one particular practitioner Al-Haji Waziri Oshoma and uh you know, and we, I mean, the Alice was really about her community. Uh, the gospel compilation was really about uh, rel- the relationship of, of these uh, gospel songs to how we live with each other. And this one is kind of about the spiritual quest of one man and his goodness and his relationship to his community and his, his, his particular area of Nigeria's um, 
uh, Islam uh, practice that that is in, in, in inclusive, that is, includes dancing and Christians and, and Muslims work, you know, dance together and hang out together and everybody, you know, supports each other. So it's kind of a different uh, approach uh, or, uh, you know, from even other sections of Nigeria. And, and we thought that's really interesting and really nice thing to highlight. Uh, how did you come across it? We did a, a compilation of music from William Onyabar from Nigeria. And uh, uh, my coworker, Eric Wells Nistrom, <laughs> would go to Nigeria and see, see Mr. Onyabar. And there was a record seller there that helped him a lot. And he said, you know, we should buy some records from this guy. And I'm like, okay. And he sends me a list. I didn't know any of the records. So I said to Eric, hey, man, just tell him to send us a box of records and we'll pay him. So he sent us this box and it came and it was like full of dirt, literally full of dirt. The covers were ripped. The records were filthy. You know, I was kind of like, what the hell is this, you know? And I took all the records home and I cleaned them as best I could. And started listening to them and there was a William Ashoma, uh, you know, sorry, <laughs> El Haji Waziri Ashoma record in that. It was in the wrong cover. It had some cover that really, I couldn't figure out why this, this, these three guys were on this cover of this record that was obviously more than three guys, you know. I didn't realize it was the wrong cover until we started, like, putting them all together. And realized, oh, wait, wait, this is the right cover for that. And, uh, and I just got really interested in him and started learning more about him and getting more of his records. It's very popular in his, in his, in his region of Nigeria. He's made 100 records. And um, so, you know, I, I just thought that would be a great, great record to kind of do as part of the spirituality series. Is he popular there to this day? Because this is music yeah. that was recorded in yeah. the mid-70s yeah. and 80s. But again, 80s. again, yeah, 70s to 80s, but he's popular in his community. So okay. in, it's very regional. He's in Edo State, and in Edo State, he's one of the most popular performers. But outside of Edo State, people might not know him at all. I mean, you know, William Onyabar was, was only known in his community. People in, in Lagos didn't really know William Onyabar. You know, and he made, he was able to make nine records because he owned the pressing plant and the record label. So he did it, he did what he wanted to, but it wasn't because he was successful, you know, where, where this guy, Al-Haji Wazir Yashoma, is successful. He's made a hundred records and, uh, and is quite popular. But again, in his region. It's, I think it's worth kind of mentioning too that it, it, this music is kind of a, 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 you know, an intersection of cultures because there are some Western influences uh, along with the indigenous indigenous folk styles that it sort of showcases. I mean, that's just true for everything, right? Pretty much. I mean, not everything, but I mean, every kind of popular music is in, kind of has multifaceted influences. You know, I used to really be into this music from the coast of East Africa that had Indian film music and Arabic influences and, you know, it was all mixed together. I mean, there's that's... That's what keeps everything going, you know, the fact that things keep changing and there's new influences come in. And now with, of course, with the, with YouTube and things like that, the influences are even much more ingrained deeply in different people's cultural, you know, popular music. Yeah, I do feel like that's, uh, I mean, it's a good age for this kind of uh, cultural interaction again. Uh, it seems like even, even with the younger artists, they're more open to kind of welcoming influences from different parts of the world, uh, parts of the world that are far from theirs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, I mean, that's, that's been going on for a while, you know. I mean, there, <clears throat> there was, uh, you know, 78s got through to Africa, through uh, 
do shipping, trading. And uh, so there was like a lot of people in West Africa who, who played Cuban, you know, salsa, song, because they heard Cuban records and the rhythms were rhythms they recognized. And, you know, there was a, there was a tribe in Kenya that had a song based on Jimmy Rogers because they heard a Jimmy Rogers 78. He was a, an American uh, country singer, one of the earliest and most popular country singers of his day. And he used to yodel. And they, they thought any, this yodeling was not, a band didn't do that, that they thought that was some mix of man-animal. And they did as, you know, songs influenced by him. So there were all these influence happened and it's been happening forever, you know? Right, 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 right. Well, Yale, it's been fascinating speaking with you. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, do you, do you have any, any anticipations of what will be uh, released as part of the series yet? Or are we keeping that on the hush? I, 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 well, I don't know. Uh, I don't really know. You know, Not just yet, yeah. some stuff just pops up. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, watch the space anyways. Thank yeah. you, Yale. Thank you for joining yes, us. thank you. Thanks so enjoyed our conversation with Yale Evelev and I encourage you to keep an eye out for more of our upcoming podcasting content. We've got a great interview with the legendary Jean-Luc Ponty and more guests on our Jazz Is Not What You Think series hosted by Jazz Is publisher Michael Fagan. Also, head on over to jazzis.com where you will be able to find great articles and find out how you can subscribe to our beautiful print magazine. And also find out more about our series of carefully curated vinyls, Jazzis Vinyl Club. Also, if you're an artist, you might want to check out Jazzis Inside Track, which is a great way not only for you to grab the attention of us Jazzis editors, but also to promote your work with our massive community. I remind you that The Muslim High Life of Al-Haji Waziri Oshoma, the latest volume in Luaka Bob's World Spirituality Classics series, is available now and I suggest checking that out. We're going to let beautiful music from this record play us out. Till the next time, this is Matt Mikuchi signing off. See you soon. Mm-hmm.